Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. Are you there, Jonah? Now, many of us, we recognize the book of Jonah probably from Sunday school, right? This is a, a classic book. It's probably one of the most well-known uh, children's story, right? We all know what happens, right? Jonah was a man uh, who disobeyed God, right? He jumped on a boat and eventually somehow ended up in the belly of a whale, even though the Bible never says a whale. Uh, that's up for debate, right? But he was there for multiple days, and then the whale spit him back out. And that's kind of ultimately where we kind of draw the line of what we know, right? But the reality is the book of Jonah is such an amazing story about the grace of God towards sinful man. Though Jonah is, as we're going to read here today, uh, and I know in our bulletin it says that we're going to go through all four chapters today. I'm not, it's a short story, I know, but uh, we're only going to stick with chapter one today. We're going to hopefully in the next uh, few weeks and few months uh, continue through the story of Jonah. But we're going to focus on the first chapter today. And I want you to see this Old Testament story, though it's nestled in into the minor prophets in the Old Testament. In fact, I think if you if you didn't know any better without going to your table of contents, I think some of us might struggle trying to find Jonah through all the, the different major minor prophets, right? He's, he's kind of nestled in there. and But there's so many gospel connections with the story of Jonah and the story of Jesus Christ. And so today... My main goal that I at least want to see is I want to read through the first chapter of Jonah. And I don't want us to view this just from an Old Testament, oh, that happened a long time ago, it's just a story. But I want us to keep focused on the cross. In order to do this, there's three things, there's three portions of the story of Jonah that I want us to see. Three things that Jonah does throughout this story. Three themes that I want us to pay attention to. In the first portion of the story, we're going to see Jonah running from God. And then as the story progresses, we see him eventually running towards God and then finally running with God. Now, of course, we're going to understand Jonah is a little bit of a, can I say a turd? He's not a very good, he's not a very good man. And he's not a very good example. And so, my apologies, we'll stay reverent here from here on out. But he's not a good dude. He's not a good example. But we're going to see the mercy of God towards sinful man like Jonah. And so, if you're there with me in Jonah chapter 1, this is what it says. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish, so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with him to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, here we see the introduction of our main character, Jonah. Now, it says here that with the word of the Lord came to Jonah, it says that this Jonah that we speak of is a prophet. Now, if you didn't know what a prophet was, according to uh, the great theological masterpiece, uh, Veggie Tales, uh, Jonah, being a prophet, is basically like he's a mailman from God. He's delivering the message that God had given to him to share with the people. And we see from the get-go that Jonah was told by God to do this one thing. Go preach to the city of Nineveh. But what do we see Jonah do? We see him running away from God. Now, we might instantly think to ourselves, well, Jonah doesn't sound like he's a very good prophet. 
But this is actually not the first time we read about Jonah in the scriptures. In 2 Kings chapter 14, we get this account. It says in the 15th year, I'm going to butcher these names, so Pastor Isaac's going to have to correct me this week, but we're going to try our best. In the 15th year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned 41 years. And he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he had made Israel sin. He restored the border of Israel from Leohemoth as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hepher. For the Lord saw that the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. But the Lord had not said that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, so he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Uh, This is a picture, this is an accurate representation of King Jeroboam. As you can see, his hat says, Make Israel Great Again. Uh, My youth kids thought that was really funny, so I figured I'd add that today. But you see that Jonah obeyed the Lord, and he actually worked alongside this king, and he helped restore the border. As far as I'm concerned, that's pretty successful, being that King Jeroboam was definitely not doing well on his own. Now, it says that Jonah was called to go preach to a place called Nineveh. Now, if we go to the next slide, we can kind of see a little bit of a map, right? So we see where Jonah starts. So he starts, he's from Gathhepper, but it says he starts his story in Joppa. Now, you can see Nineveh is kind of a little bit further up uh, to the northeast. But what does Jonah do? But try to go the opposite way. If you can see here, Tarshish is actually almost in modern-day Spain. I don't know if you can see the amount of water <laughs> that he has to travel to try to get away. He is trying to get away from the Lord as quickly and as far as he can. But you know what's so amazing is that when we look at the history of Nineveh, I think we can maybe not feel as bad for Jonah as, as, uh, or we start to feel bad for Jonah, I should say, because Nineveh was actually a really, really evil place. Now, if you're unfamiliar with this city, it lies about 220 miles north of modern-day Baghdad. So it, it's kind of more in modern-day Iraq. Uh, Nineveh was a very important city in what was known as the Assyrian Empire. Now, if you know anything about history, we know that the Assyrians were absolutely terrible, evil people. And was likely a very hostile place for a Jewish prophet like Jonah. I want to give you a little bit of a uh, picture to have in your mind of how evil these people were. According to this article that I found, it, it says that the Assyrian Empire was the undisputed superpower of the world for nearly 300 years, which was about 911 B.C. to 612 B.C. So this was probably about the time that Jonah was doing his ministry. When conquering a culture, people, or city, the Assyrians were swift, punishing, and barbaric. They were renowned for their brutal tactics when they applied to soldier and citizens alike. By advanced siege towers, ramps, and scalding ladders, the Assyrians would crush their opposition. They were known to snatch enemy fighters off of the city walls and skin them alive before terrified onlookers. They would sever limbs and rip out tongues, and they would skewer city officials on poles. They were even known to disembowel pregnant women, thereby killing both mother and child in the most heinous means imaginable. So these guys were serious. And you can only imagine Jonah, when the word of the Lord came to him, he said, go to Nineveh, this great city, and call against it for their evil has come up before me. You could probably think for Jonah, he's like, 
Nineveh? You want me to go to Nineveh? Let me hear. Did I hear that right, Lord? Right? You can only imagine the fear that Jonah had. And of course, if we know veggie tales, they also slap people with fishes. I know these guys were waiting for that. But, and that's not true. <laughs> I have to clarify that. But obviously, it was an evil place. And I'm sure for any one of us, if we were put in that position, which obviously we're not prophets of God, but like, that's a terrible place to go. And so I think when we have that lens, we can think, okay, I see why Jonah fled. Because that's like for us modern day, say, go preach to the people of North Korea or go preach to the people of Syria. These evil places that, that completely hate the people of God. Jonah was afraid of Nineveh. He knew the kind of place it was. And though he worked alongside the king of Israel, and it seemed like that went well, going to a distant land that was extremely hostile to a man like Jonah proved to be a more difficult task. But to make it applicational for us, I'm not saying that our story is just like Jonah, but I think we could see some similarities with how we respond to when God calls us to go do something. Kind of this is often the biggest struggle we face. When things are going well for us and we don't feel challenged, it's easy to see the power of God working in our lives. It's easy to say, yes, Lord, whenever it's an easy task at hand. I always tell my youth kids this, but I always think about how easy it is for us to talk about the things of God with other believers, but yet it seems so difficult to non-believers to go talk to them. There's almost a fear, this uncertainty. When God calls us to do something out of our comfort zone, our faith and our trust, they start to shrivel up a little bit. And we end up like Jonah and we start heading the other direction. We may read Jonah's story and keep it as just that, a story. However, when we examine our own lives, how often do we neglect the commands of our Lord and run the opposite direction? As we'll see in the following verses, Jonah does not get off easy. (laughs) As he flees to Tarshish, it says in verse 4, The Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and he said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise and call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Now, we're looking at this from a gospel lens, right? Does that story sound somewhat familiar to another story that we may know? If we go to the next slide, I think there's this beautiful painting that I've already shared the story before. But there's a story in the New Testament it seems to go very similarly. In Mark chapter 4, verse 37, a great windstorm arose in the mat, and the winds were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. But he, meaning Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the winds, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the winds ceased. And there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear, and they said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey them? See, another beautiful thing that we get to see while reading through the book of Jonah is that there's so many direct parallels between Jonah's story and the story of Jesus. In this instance, we obviously see panicked sailors and a sleeping man who appears to not care about what happens next. But as we're going to 
walk through the story of Jonah in the next few months, we're going to see that Jonah is the ultimate example of what not to do. And Jesus is the one who we follow. Now, we're not saying that we follow Jesus' example by when we're out in the middle of the storm. Boy, wouldn't that have been great last Thursday. It'd be like, stop it with the winds and the waves. But we see Jesus is the greater Jonah. And so, still, we go back to the story of Jonah. And we see that he was going down into the deep parts of the ship. He was trying to get away from God, even on the ship. He was trying to get as far away from the Lord as humanly possible. And I think this is something so amazing because Jonah, being a prophet, he knew the power of God. He knew God could probably stop this at any time. Not only that, he was a prophet. He could have talked to God directly. But yet, Jonah refuses, and he goes to sleep, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care if the sailors perish. He doesn't care what happens next. What I think is so amazing is that we see in the earlier verses that with the ship wanting to break up, these mariners, they were afraid. These sailors, they were terrified. And it says that they were each crying out to their own God, but not the one true God. Can we just take a moment to appreciate that this would have been such an amazing opportunity for Jonah to share the life-giving words of the Lord. And he could have easily calmed their spirits. Right? Jesus did that with calming the storms, with being God, right? But all people, Jonah could have been monumental in giving hope to these fearful sailors, yet he was fast asleep, not caring what was going to happen next. And again, to make this applicational for you, how many of us know that we need to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those who need it, but we are hesitant and end up not doing it because we're afraid? That's ultimately the root of what Jonah's issue was. It was he was afraid. He didn't know what God was going to do. He wasn't sure if God was going to be enough. I think about when I was in college, and I've told you guys probably many stories at this time, uh, I, I was a part of a campus ministry called the Christian Campus House. And we had a campus pastor named Rick Randleman, who was an amazing man of God, uh, very uh, monumental in, in me growing in my faith. But it was so amazing because he had this testimony that he gave one night. We had worship on Tuesday nights. And he spoke of how he was on, he just got back the day before from a trip down to Arizona. And right before he was about to, to leave, he, him and his family stopped at a McDonald's. And while they were sitting there in the restaurant, uh, he noticed that there was a gentleman who was sitting a couple tables down from him who was just weeping uncontrollably. There was clearly something going on. And as he was crying, he was wiping away the tears and just uncontrollable. And Rick told us that night, he says, you know, I felt a leading in my, my heart that I needed to go share the good news of Jesus Christ with this man. I don't know, it just I felt compelled to do it. And what he ended up telling us was, he's like, I felt compelled to do it, but for some reason I just didn't. And he told us that night, this was probably 24 hours since that thing had happened. And he says, guys, I still feel convicted that I didn't go share the good news. That man needed it. It doesn't matter if he was a Christian, didn't know Christ. He needed to hear the life-giving words of God. But I didn't. And that's not where the story ends, because let me tell you, God worked in my heart that night, because I think about all the times that I've neglected that call. And when you think about that, how many times have you neglected the call of God 
that night, I went home with my roommate. He was also, both of my roommates actually were both part of the campus house, and they were there that night. And we were sitting in our apartment, and we, our apartment was kind of near the, the entryway uh, for the door into the apartments. And we heard this young lady out there screaming and crying on the phone. And she's, you know, something's happening. And she's, we realize that she's on the phone with somebody, and, and she's, she's clearly not doing well. And I remember looking at my friend Luke and my friend Cody. I was like, is this our chance to go <laughs> share the good news of Jesus with these people, <laughs> this lady? And uh, long story short, we ended up going out there and talking to her for just like a brief moment. I just The only thing I got out was Jesus loves you, but... That's what we are called to do. And oftentimes when we think about what holds us back in sharing our faith so openly, God has commanded us to go and share his word. God has called us to go and tell people about the good news of Jesus Christ, but yet we are so reluctant all too often. Why? Because we have fear. And just like Jonah, oftentimes we neglect the call of God. We try to go the opposite way. We see somebody who's in need and we say, oh, Maybe somebody else will come along, and maybe somebody else will do it, but not me. I don't think, how many times have I heard this? I just don't know if I have the right words to say. I think I'll mess it up. See, that fear that you have, that's not of God. See, when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, it's not our words that we're relying on, but it's the power of God who works through us. And we wish that we would see Jonah come to his senses and realize, oh yeah, I have the power of God working within me. I should probably tell these sailors and correct them. They're crying out to all these different gods who aren't the true God. See, to share the gospel with others, we might think that, oh well, I'm a good person. They should know that I'm probably a Christian because of how, you know, I go to church. You know, I show people. You know, I, I, I share things on Facebook. Oof, they ought to know by now. I share a Bible verse a day. But if you don't open your mouth and speak the gospel to people, I don't think you're doing it as well as you could be. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, it says, How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? In this story, we see that not only is Jonah neglected the call to preach to the city of Nineveh, but he's even rejected the call to preach to these sailors who don't know the one true God. What's even more amazing is that although Jonah was neglecting the call of his Lord, nothing was going to stand in the way of God's plan being accomplished. See, despite Jonah's cowardness and ignorance in neglecting the Lord's call, God's plan was still going to unfold the way he wanted it to. See, nothing stands in the way of the holy God. We see this. We'll go down to verse 7. These sailors are still panicking. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots. Which, if you don't know what casting the lot is, it's an ancient uh, practice that determines the divine will of something. It's kind of like drawing straws, right? Or rolling dice. And they cast lots, and they... It says, Come, let us cast lots, so they may know on whose account this evil had come upon us. So they cast lots. And guess who the lot fell on? Old Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? And what is your country? What people are you? 
And Jonah kind of says, well, <laughs> he says, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid, and they said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now let's just pause for a second. Jonah had all this opportunity to share of who he was and where he came from, but he was keeping quiet. It wasn't until the last moment that he finally was like, okay, yes, I'm a, I'm from, I'm a Hebrew. Right? He, it was so last minute. It was so, you could tell he wasn't probably being genuine in that moment of wanting to share who he was. He's still reluctant. And they said to him, what shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us for the sea grew more and more temptous, and he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. And the sea will be quiet down for you, for I know that it is because of me that this great temptus has come upon you. So he's starting to take, take the rap. Nevertheless, these men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not. So for the sea grew more and more temptous against them. And therefore they called out to the Lord. Notice how it said the Lord and not many gods. God's plan cannot be stopped, can it? They called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, and they hurled him to the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and made vows. Notice again, and I said this a second ago, but I want you to see this and really focus in on it. Notice how these sailors went from crying out to each of their gods to crying out to the one true God. In a perfect moment of God's providence, meaning his perfect plan being rolled out in his sovereignty, having control over the whole situation, these men who did not know the one true God came to know him through one man's disobedience. How amazing is that? I just got to thinking about that as I was doing my study this week. If these men can come to faith because of one disobedient man, could you imagine the number of people who can come to faith by obedient believers? I just get to thinking that because so often we're so terrified. We're thinking, oh, I can't do this. And just like that, we're being like Jonah, aren't we? Though Jonah tried so hard to outrun God, nothing in all creation could stop what God had planned. And maybe you need to hear that today. Maybe you're just like Jonah. You're trying to run as far away from God as humanly possible. You're trying to get down to the depths of a ship. That's not a very good example, but (laughs) you're trying to run from God and do everything you can to not obey his plan. And maybe you think to yourself, well, there's no way that God could forgive me if if he realized how, how bad I am, you know, What's the point of even trying to run back to him at this point, right? He's just going to smite me, right? See, God threw this great storm upon this ship because of Jonah's disobedience. What do I think he's going to do for my life? What kind of storm is he going to put in my life? What kind of things is he going to do to discipline me? And yes, the Lord disciplines those who he loves. But can I tell you today, I don't know, maybe you have a a misunderstanding of, of who God is. Maybe you think, oh, he's just one big angry being in the sky. But can I tell you that he is a loving and merciful God? 
more than that, he is what we call just. He's a just God. That means he has the ability, the divine ability to forgive sinners such as you and me. And even Jonah. I want to read to you, I'm going to read the entire psalm because I think it's so good and I can't, I can't not read it. I want to read this to you. And maybe you're still sitting there thinking like, yeah, Trent, I don't know. I've grown up in church, but I still think God, is, he's, he's probably not happy with me right now. And if you don't have a repentant heart, then as far as I'm concerned, yeah, you have things to fear. But if you're truly repentant of your sin, if you're truly wanting to turn back to the Lord today, maybe you've been running for him for a long time. I don't know. I don't know your testimony. But can I read this to you out of Psalm 103? This is a Psalm of David. It says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, being your sin, who heals all your diseases and redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways for Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. Hear this. This is what you need to hear today. In verse 8, it says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. Church, he's what? Merciful and gracious. About, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always shy, nor will he keep his anger forever, for he does not deal with us according to our sins nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. Notice that key word, those who fear him, those who hold his name as holy. For many of us who just try to play church, who don't truly seek after God, but rather just try to do things to be seen, can I tell you you're missing out on the mercy of God? God is merciful, but if you have to have a repentant heart, you can't come before the Lord in, in your own righteousness, meaning your own, what you think is good. <laughs> it says in the scriptures that our righteousness is that's filthy rags. We have nothing to bring to the Lord, but yet he has everything to bring to us through his son Jesus, who we trust in. I want to keep reading this. As far as the east is from the west... So far does he remove our transgressions from us. That one always gets me so excited because, man, so thankful for that. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. For as a man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear him. There's that fear him again. Right? His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. That's an important part there. Those who keep his covenant, remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in all the heavens, and in his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places in his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Did you pick up on some attributes of our God there? But notice how those only apply to those who fear him. 
Now, that doesn't mean to be so afraid of him that you're not willing to talk to him, right? He's not, un- that's the beauty, beautiful thing about our God is he's not unapproachable. Yet, we do not deserve to approach his throne. He allows us in only through the shed blood of his son, Jesus. And what I want us to see continually, <clears throat> we've already seen Jonah is not doing very well. He's clearly caused this mayhem because he didn't truly understand that his actions were affecting others. And he was not being obedient to the word of the Lord. And for us to be obedient to his word is so incredibly crucial because we can listen to these words. You can hear me preach all day long. You can hear Pastor Isaac preach all day long. But if it doesn't, if it stays up here, but it doesn't move down here, I feel like it's in vain. You can fill your head with knowledge all you want, but if it's not truly applying to your heart, then we end up just like Jonah, running from the presence of the Lord, not understanding how amazing it is to trust in God with all of our heart. And up to this point in the story, right, Jonah recognizes at some level, like, yeah, this is my fault. You need to probably do with me as you should. Right? He was planning on dying, as far as I'm concerned. He was going to be thrown overboard. He says, throw me off, right? Have your lives be spared, but I, I, I messed this up too bad. And at this point, you would think that God probably is like, yeah, you're right, Jonah. I'm going to smite you right now. But is that what he does? What's the final verse of Chapter 1 says, in verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now you might be thinking, well, Pastor Trent, I don't understand then. What is that? I don't, how is God being merciful? He got swallowed by a stinking fish. Like, that doesn't sound very fun to me. You're right, it's not. But he could have so easily had Jonah die in that fish's belly. Or get spat out into the middle of the, of the sea. But that's not what he does. And I think too often when we read this story, that's the, that's the climax of the story, right? That's the part that everybody knows. Oh, yeah, Jonah got swallowed by a big fish. That's, he got swallowed by the whale, right? But that's not the part that we focus on. The part that we focus on is that God had appointed, he had a plan from the get-go, that he knew Jonah was going to fail him, and he needed some redirection. Now, obviously, I hope that none of you run from God and then end up getting on a boat and then getting swallowed up by a big fish. I hope that never happens to you. But think about practically in your life the different things that you have done against the Lord, but yet he somehow always redirects your path when you trust in him. When you try to rely on your own strength, you're going to fail every time. But when you start relying on the strength of the Lord, mighty things happen. He turns your life around. He takes your life up from the pit. He sets you on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. It's so amazing what the Lord can do if we just be obedient to Him and His calling. In this story, again, looking at it from a gospel lens, I think we see something familiar, don't we? Read it again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Does that sound familiar, three days and three nights? Three days? Hmm, interesting. In Matthew chapter 12, it says that there were some scribes and Pharisees who answered him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he, Jesus, answered him, saying, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Which, pause just real quick, just to note, 
Some people believe that the book of Jonah is an allegory, right? It never actually happened. But if we believe that Christ is speaking it and saying this is something that happened with Jonah, that Jonah was a real man, then I think we have every reason to believe this story actually happened. Just a side note there. In verse 40 it says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise at the judgment of this generation, condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Behold, something greater than Jonah is here. What is that greater thing than Jonah? That is Jesus. Again, I just repeat this. There's a good reason why we don't follow the example of Jonah, do we? His disobedience may be easy to read and dismiss, yet when we reflect on our own lives, we find that our stories are so similar. We hear the word of the Lord, and not only do we reject it, we try everything in our power to distance ourselves from it. Now, maybe it doesn't look like running to a far-off country, but maybe it's as simple as placing idols in front of God, placing money at the center of your life, running from God to get more money in your job. Maybe it's relationships. You're running from God just to pursue this relationship. There's many things in our lives that we put as idols. But ultimately, we need to run back to the Father. Jesus gives us a great commandment right before he ascends into heaven. He says in Matthew 28, 18, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the I said this before, but I'll say it again. Being obedient to God is not burdensome. Following the commands of the Lord is the most life-giving thing you can do. Because let me tell you, when you try to trust in what your plan is, and you try to go away from the plan of the Lord because you think that your plan is better, I tell you, it fails every time. And oftentimes what happens is we, when we continue to follow our own plan, what eventually turns up is, that we start failing. Things don't go well in our lives. Maybe it's a failed relationship. Maybe it's a failed job. Maybe it's a failed move to another place. And sometimes we wonder, that's always when the question arises, right? What is my purpose here on earth? What is my purpose? I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm so confused. My life is just chaos right now. And you know that you need to turn to the Lord. But you're just like, I don't know what God really wants me to do. Can I tell you that Matthew 28 gives you a pretty good commandment to follow for your life? Right? We see Jesus has the authority to say this because it's all of authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He says to go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Church, your ultimate goal in life is to make the name of Jesus known. To put yourself as the least of these. To completely become obedient to the word of the Lord. Not to do things on your own merit, but to do all things for the sake of making Jesus' name lifted on high. And you know what's the beauty of that? Those things that I mentioned that could be idols could be used for the glory of God. 
Your relationships can be used for the glory of God. Your job can be used for the glory of God. But we see here, right, Jonah was disobedient. We don't follow Jonah, but guess who was obedient? Our Lord Jesus. For when he prayed in the garden, he said, Not my will, Father, but yours be done. That's the heart of Christ. That's what we should be following. And to make it as simple as possible, we are not called to just sit around in a pew every Sunday and to not go tell people about what God has done. Like I mentioned earlier, what Brett says before, to preach from the overflow. When God has truly done amazing things in your life, you're going to want to tell people about it. I don't know if you've ever seen, I always think it's so funny watching those videos of toddlers trying to fill their own cups. But that always makes me laugh because they just don't know when to stop, right? They start pouring in and it's like, all right, that's good, that's good, that's good. And it just starts pouring out everywhere. But man, when you think about your spiritual life, that's how things should be with you and God. When you continue to read deep, dive deep into his word, it's so, un, it's so natural for it to just flow off into other places of your life. The overflow. But it all starts with being obedient to the calling of God. I know many of you have been asking uh, how Maddie is doing. Uh, if you don't know, my wife Maddie is currently overseas in southeastern Africa. Uh, she's going to be gone until uh, a week from this Tuesday is when she's coming back. Um, but it's been such an amazing experience. I know I shared this on, on Sunday evening a couple weeks ago. But I want to share with you today, church. Um, one night uh, in the middle of May... <clears throat> So not even a little over a month ago, or I guess it's July now, so almost two months ago now, um, Maddie approached me uh, right before we were about to go to bed. She said, hey, I want to talk to you about something. I was like, uh, okay, am I in trouble? <laughs> but uh, she sat me down and she said, Trent, I, I just, I feel this tugging on my heart to go serve overseas in, in Africa. I said, are you talking about the trip your grandma's going on? She's like, yeah. I was like, oh, that's amazing. Like, wow, that's so cool. Like, you know, and then, of course, me being me, I'm like, okay, so isn't that trip leaving, like, in less than a month? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, it, it is, but I really feel led to go. I need, and I, I just, I know that I need to be there. And I sat her down, and I remember her grandma had already been advertising this since the beginning of the year, and I knew that it was going to cost some money. And, in fact, I'll, I'll tell you the exact amount. It was going to be $4,000 for her to travel over to, to Africa just with the, the, the airplane and, you know, the, the cost that it, it takes to, to do all these things. It's an expensive trip. And I remember sitting there, and be, sitting there and being like, Maddie, you know, our finances aren't that great. You know, being a youth pastor and a teacher, we don't make a million dollars, you know, as much as you guys might think. Uh, but we are in a situation financially where we're just like, I don't think we can pull that. I, I told Maddie, I said, well, if you're going to do this, you're probably going to have to raise support, right? She's like, yeah, that's my plan. I said, so you're going to raise $4,000 in less than a month. Am I getting that right? She said, very unreluctantly, she said, yeah. It's an expensive but trip, but I, I know that God is calling me to do this. And I tell you what, church, uh, number one, thank you for your generosity. I know I want to speak on behalf of Maddie, but uh, she was so grateful all the money that started coming in. And slowly, week by week, that $4,000 mark started getting smaller and smaller. That window kept closing up. And then about two weeks before she was supposed to leave, she not only raised the money that she was supposed to raise, 
But she raised more than that. And she is able to support the kids that she's ministering to right now at the camp. So amazing to see God's faithfulness. And I'll never forget what she told me that night that she was telling me about uh, all, this th- all these things. But she told me, she said, Trent, if God wants me to go this trip, he's going he's gonna to make a way. And boy, did he make a way. Keep praying for her. But I want to finish this today because I know we're running out of time here. We need to be willing, willingly obedient to the word of the Lord. God is so incredibly faithful to us, yet we seem to always be unfaithful to him. I don't understand that. Just like Paul says in the book of Romans, right? We don't understand the things that we do. The things that we know we should do, we don't do. But the things that we know we shouldn't do, we end up doing. And so today I pray that as we read the story of Jonah, that we don't completely bash Jonah because our stories are a lot like that. But the beauty of God is that while we try so hard to run away from him, and we think, oh man, we're too far gone, there's no way that the Lord could invite me back in, he does. Why? Because he's a merciful God, and he's just to forgive us. I want to finish this sermon today by reading one of my favorite passages. There's nothing that can stand in the way between you and God. If you are truly in Christ today, there's nothing that can separate that, that relationship. In Romans 8, 31, it says, What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, we are, your, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor anything present, nor things to come, nor powers, height, nor depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That encourages me so much it brings me to a heart of worship. God is too good for you to neglect him. God is too faithful for you to be faithless. So I pray today, as we read the story of Jonah, we see one man's disobedience, but yet we can look forward to Jesus who was obedient. We follow his plan. We follow his will. And so I pray today that if you have been running from God, I pray that you turn around and like the prodigal son, you return home. And if you have been walking with the Lord, but maybe you feel like you've been falling short, Just know that if you have a true repentant heart and you understand the beauty of our Savior, you see how He is. He's abounding in steadfast love, slow to anger. Then you know that He is faithful to forgive you. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, 
visit our website at bethanyibc.com.